0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of On The Line. Today is going to be a really interesting episode, I think, because I have Imogen Pinnell, who is the health information manager at Joe's Cervical Cancer
1: Trust, which is UK's only cervical cancer charity? Yeah so we like to call ourselves the leading cervical cancer charity because we're the only one in the UK that's dedicated to kind of supporting women who are affected by cervical cancer and their families but we also do a lot around prevention and cervical health generally. Mm -hmm. Um, So what
0: is a health information manager? It's a
1: very good question it sounds fancy Um, but basically what it means is I'm responsible for creating the charity's health information so I'll work with users which is kind of a jargony term for just people who have a certain experience so maybe they've had cervical cancer, maybe they've just gone for screening and have had an experience that they want to share, um, as well as experts who will tell us, yes this is right or no this is wrong Um, and then I'll take those comments and I'll kind of make it into something that's hopefully understandable and interesting for the general public to read. Mm -hmm. Okay so I think uh, the first thing we should probably do
0: is talk a little bit about how the charity started.
1: Yeah. Yeah. let's let's do that. So it was started by James Maxwell um, and his wife Jo and Jo unfortunately died um, of cervical cancer at age 40 but what they found when she was diagnosed is that they there was just no information there they they couldn't find anything about cervical cancer because it is considered a rare cancer is it um yeah it is and they also couldn't find anyone else who'd had that experience so she felt really isolated and obviously her family around her trying to support her it's just really difficult when there's there's not much out there um so when she died um her her wish was really that anyone else who went through that experience would have somewhere to go where they could get that information. They could get that support. They could connect with other people who are going through the same thing. And that's where it was born from. And her family and friends are still very involved in the charity now, which is really lovely. And they've been able to see how we've grown. Wow. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's kind of true. It's one of those cancers that sounds extra scary
1: yes because of where because of where it yeah is I think and, so yeah
0: I think so and and that's really why I wanted to do this podcast because I, I mean I for one and we can get into this but I was so nervous to do a mm. cervical screening and everything about it just was freaking
1: me out yeah that and that's that is completely common and normal and and I get it I mean it's not like any of us go Yay! It's time for a smear test. It's it is something that is quite invasive and feels like you having your privacy kind of explored into. Absolutely. And then,
0: when did you start um, working with the
1: charity? I started with the charity. It's it's pretty much bang on two years ago. Oh wow. Um, which is nice Um, and we're also in our 20th anniversary now so I feel like our anniversaries are kind of lining up quite nicely um but yeah so two two years ago I've been working and it feels like I mean we do so much that it's just one of those jobs that never gets boring because there's so many areas to cover from screening all the way through to cancer and kind of the impact of that that it has on everyday life so Yeah, it's a really interesting job and a really interesting charity to Mm. work for.
0: And am I right in thinking that you guys worked with
1: Daisy, my jewelry family? Yes, we did, your jewelry family, I love it. Yes, um, they were so kind and they, they created this... Really beautiful necklace that I I'm kind of desperate to get. The, you don't have it? I I know I know it's it's on my list. It's one of those things that I think I'm gonna slip into a Christmas list. Oh or absolutely! Something like say, I'm looking go. at
0: your jewelry right now, and I'm like that necklace would look so good with that. that well, I'll take that. This is a good
1: sales pitch, by the way. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. But yeah, they, it's just gorgeous. It's the it's the female figure mm-hmm. um, on a kind of a gold bar, and and they're giving us a percentage of the sales, which is just wonderful daisy
0: is honestly the best i feel like i i don't have to say this at all but <laughs> you they, want to. i want to <laughs> they're seriously the the best group of girls um so yeah and then i met somebody from uh the charity at well there was like a life drawing um oh yeah class very nice and um anyway so that's how this whole thing kind of kind of came to be. No, well, thank you for having us on. Like it's, oh, it's no, really it's nice to, to do this. Sort of truly my pleasure. Okay. So I don't really know what the, where to start. I guess it's, it's what is a cervical screening? Yep, what happens? That's, that's a good place to start. Um, what does it do? When should you
1: start? Let's talk about it. All right. It. Let's, yeah, we'll break it down and we'll get into some detail on it. So in the UK, cervical screening, also called a smear test, they're I mean, they're exactly the same thing, it's just which language you, know, you prefer to use. Um, it's a test that kind of checks that your cervix is healthy, mm-hmm. in a way. So we use the word screening, and what we mean is it's a test to prevent something happening. I see. So with cervical screening, it's looking for any changes to the cells in your cervix to make sure that nothing strange is going on there where they're not changing in a way that we don't want them to. Mm-hmm. And if they are, we can try and treat them or monitor them to make sure that they don't go on to develop into something more serious like cervical cancer. So a lot of people tend to think that it's a test for cancer and they think they're going to turn up, they're going to have the test and they're going to be told either you have cancer or you don't have cancer. That is not what it's for at all. It's just to check that nothing Mm -hmm. strange is going on. Your cells are behaving themselves, essentially. Um, And in the UK, you get invited from... About 24 and a half, you might get your first invite, Um, and you can go as soon as you get that invite, Um, and it's every three years up to age 49, Okay. and then from 50 to 64, it's every five years, and you'll get that invite in the post, so it's not something that you have to kind of mark on your phone or anything, Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason that they're at those intervals is because it just, it just the way the cancer, oh, not the can, the way that the cell changes happen um, and develop means that you don't need to go more frequently, right? Because it's a really slow growing thing. So if anything was going on, having it at those three and five year intervals mean that it would be caught. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the same anymore, but
0: in Canada where I grew up, mm. um, I got my first smear test when I was sixteen. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was basically like, if you are sexually active, you need to get a Mm -hmm. a screen, you know, a test. So I mean, I'm revealing a little bit of my virginity story (laughs) there. But it was the most traumatic experience of my life. Yes, I know. And I want to talk about that. Yeah, what happened? So basically, I, I hadn't actually had, I think, I think I had sex once, but, you know, mm-hmm. first time you have sex, it's, it's well, that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? <laughs> so then I went in and got this thing, and they yeah. used a giant speculum. Well, it felt giant to me. And the whole thing was just, I felt it was rough, and it hurt. Yeah. Um, so it really, really scared me. And then I did not get another um, smear test until last year, and I'm 20, going to be 29. Because wow. I was so... Scared of it, and actually, I have a question from a caller, and it's it's all about yes. that. Go for it.
1: Hi Estee, I'm so glad that you're speaking with Joe's Trust. I think they're an incredible charity doing wonderful things for women's health. One thing I did want to ask was um, regarding smear tests. For me, it's quite a painful experience, and I know for a lot of others it is too. Um, There is quite a focus on it being a quick and easy procedure, Um, and for some of us, it's not. Um, So I just wondered whether Joe's Trust would have any tips for how to make it a little bit more comfortable.
0: So I really love that question, and I'm not putting this in the podcast to freak everyone (laughs) out um but you know for some
1: of us it is painful it, it absolutely is and i think something that joe's is really focused on at the moment is changing the language around screening from something that can sometimes feel a bit oh it's it's a really quick test just go and do it to a more supportive and compassionate conversation and um, because you're right yeah it, it is uncomfortable or it's painful for, yeah. for some people and we need to acknowledge that the good thing about kind of these kind of physical barriers to screening is that there is usually a solution. Yes. Um, and there's a couple of things. So it's not just try this, and if not, you, you're kind of, that's that's your lot. There are a few things that you could try. So if someone was finding it painful, kind of the first thing that we suggest if they feel comfortable is to have a conversation with the nurse or whoever's taking mm-hmm. um, the sample. Because if they know that you find it painful, they can do something to support you. If they don't know, um, unless unless you tell them, they're just gonna kind of yeah. say, okay, well, you know, hopefully they are asking you those questions anyway and trying to find out your experience of it. Mm-hmm. But it it just helps if you can have an open conversation about it. So that's the first thing that we would say. The other thing is that there are different sizes of speculum. So you mentioned giant, scary, speculum, <laughs> bad experience. Yeah. Totally hear you. We do get that a lot. So there's kind of a standard size speculum. Um, that I feel like I, I want to have one here and show you. But yeah, there's kind of a standard size speculum. Um, but there are smaller ones as well. Yeah. So if you think, you know what, actually I've been before and I know that that's uncomfortable for me, or if it's your first time and you think, I'm a little bit nervous about this, I I would prefer to have the smaller one, ask for it. They should have it there. Yeah. And if they don't, you can always say, well, you know what, actually, I don't wanna do it today. Can I come back when you have that available? Mm -hmm. Because it's not like once you're in that room, that's it. It has right. to happen. You can have a conversation. You can ask to see the kind of tools, I guess, that they're using. Mm-hmm. You can get comfortable with it. Um, you can also ask to for them to use a bit more lube yeah. um, on the speculum. So that is the bit that a lot of people find lube uncomfortable. is the greatest invention. It's not only for this, but for for, many for, li- things. for life. For life. For many things, it is. <laughs> um, and it would be. It would have to be a water-based lube, and we know. Some sample takers or nurses are are a little bit more reluctant to use it, Mm. but it is fine if it's a water-based lubricant, it shouldn't interfere with the results, it shouldn't interfere with how they look at that sample, so it shouldn't be an issue for them to use it. Um, And I guess the other thing is to give yourself time, Mm -hmm. because it it is quite, a. you go into the room, you do the test, you're back out again. Like with any doctor's appointment, you know, you get kind of a, a slot of what five or ten minutes, and, and it's done. If you need some extra time. Ask for it. You know, when you're booking the appointment, you can say, "Is there any chance I can have a longer appointment or a double appointment?" It's sometimes called, and that just means you can have those conversations, and you don't have to feel like, "Oh gosh, the test is over now. I have to rush, you know, to you know, put my pants back on and Mm -hmm. you know, and get out of." Yeah, then they're just pushing you out onto the street, and you're like, "Ah." Exactly. (laughs) It just gives you some time to process what's happened. To you know, get any advice from the nurse if you're if you're worried about anything that might happen after afterwards, um, and just to kind of make peace with with what's just happened because for some people it is it isn't just a five minute mm. test it is something that can be a little a bit more of a of a big a big deal and a big challenge for them. Yeah,
0: I really resonate with everything you said because, like I said, I went a very long time between screenings and. I was stressing about. Yeah. I knew I had to get it again. I was all freaked out, um, and basically, I went to my GP, and I told I told her I was like, I am really. I had a traumatic experience, and I'm really scared. Yeah. And. Luckily she was so amazing with it and exactly what you said she showed me all of the tools which I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing but you know she showed me all of them and she said here's a smaller size speculum this is the the standard size and we basically started from the smallest one and she just took it so slow she was like are you like make sure you're breathing is this okay and then she would take it out and then she would put a little bit more back in and it was it was honestly so helpful and the first time That's I good. went I didn't manage to get the sample because I was still, like, very, like,
1: you yeah. know, your whole body
0: is tense, yeah. while mine was. And then I went back again, and I kind of knew what to expect, and we managed to get it. And then I've had another one since then. Um, actually, I had to get a colposcopy, which we can talk
1: about. Yes, we can.
0: Um but yeah, so then I went back a second time and, and managed to get it. And I was so glad I did because I did have irregular cells. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I definitely want to talk about because I was convinced uh, my yep. life was over. So very, yeah,
1: very, very common that we hear that. But it's yeah, it's, and it's, it is, it's your nurse sounds like the nurse that we all want and yes. that we want kind of across the board because that is what should be happening as standard. I mean, it, it shouldn't be that kind of the person who's going for the test has to prompt and take ownership but sometimes that is just just what has to happen but yeah a nurse who will talk you through each step before it happens yes get your consent make sure you're feeling comfortable and it is you know what you say about the fact that you didn't you didn't have it the first time you went you came back and had it yeah That's completely fine. I think we don't talk enough about that. We Mm -hmm. kind of feel like, oh, no, I wasn't able to go through it. Well, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed and upset with myself. But you shouldn't be at at all. I mean, this is your health that Mm -hmm. we're talking about. You're in control of it. And And that's the biggest. It's something that we really focused on. Actually, we have an awareness week in January each year. And something that we really wanted to get across this year was that it's your test and you're in control of it. It's not for someone else to kind of say this is how it should be mm-hmm. for you this is what your experience is it's for you to say well actually here are my needs here's what's going to work for me and if I choose to have the test this is how I want it to go yeah so we know that
0: cervical screenings are all about prevention yeah. um, so I do have a question about if cervical cancer runs in your family so mm-hmm. let's play the question
1: Hi, stay. My name is Darby. I am from the United States. Um, I just had a question because I know that cervical cancer runs in my family. um, And I'm wondering that if we know that we are predisposed to any sort of um, cervical cancer conditions, if we should bring that up differently in a doctor's appointment, or if that's just something we should expect our doctor to look for. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye. It's a really interesting question. And it's one that we hear a lot of because a couple of other cancers do have that family link. Um, But for cervical cancer, at the moment, there's no research that suggests that there is a family history of it. So it wouldn't be that if you have a family history, your doctor would kind of suggest that you have more regular smears or or anything like that. Um, I mean, I have to say, because the question is from an American caller. And obviously I'm talking purely from a UK perspective. Um, So it may be different there, but in the UK, that is how it is at the moment. What I would say um, is I am not a medical expert or researcher, and there is a lot of research going on about HPV, which mm-hmm. is the human papilloma virus. What um, the hell uh, is it? It's, uh, it's, it's, it sounds a uh, scary, doesn't it? It <laughs> just really just, does. It really does. So, HPV, uh, which is, I mean, uh, human papilloma virus is the long name for it. You will always hear it called HPV. No one's going to be saying that all the time. Um, it's essentially a virus, a, a little bit like a cold, which we. We get, and when I say we, I mean nearly all of us. It's about four and five of us will get it at some point in yes. our lives, um, and usually our bodies, our immune systems, get rid of it, um, and it, that's great; doesn't cause any issues. Sometimes, if um, our, and we don't really know why yet, which is which is kind of the weird bit, mm-hmm. if our bodies can't get rid of it. And it becomes what we call a persistent infection, which means it just stays in our bodies. And that's when we can see things like cell changes happening. Right. Is it a sexually transmitted thing? We don't. So at Joe's, we've chosen not to use the term sexually transmitted infection. Okay. And the reason is because even though the HPV that is kind of in your genital area, which is where obviously the cervix Mm -hmm. is, is usually sexually transmitted, it is can be transmitted through other means as well. Right. So I'm trying to think of how to say this without it sounding really scary. But for example, if um, someone has HPV and they give birth, there's a chance that their child may have HPV, which is usually cleared easily and there's there's nothing to worry about. Um, but it because it's not always sexually transmitted, it's usually sexually transmitted. And to say there's a massive stigma around anything to do with kind of the cervix, cervical cancer, the genitals, particularly for women, I think, anyway. Um, And to add, oh, an STI into that as well. There's a real, I mean, we hear from women all the time who have to have conversations with their partner and then, you know, their partners don't wanna be intimate with them anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so we're trying to make people realize that actually, even though it's usually a sexually transmitted virus, it's really common. We've all got it, basically, yeah. um, particularly if you've been sexually active, and there's no treatment for it. Are there physical symptoms of it? So there's no symptoms of HPV itself, mm-hmm. but obviously they can cause, it can cause a condition. So there are different types of HPV. So HPV we kind of use as this umbrella term, but there's over 200 types, and most of those, they don't really do anything. Mm-hmm. They're, just, they're just kind of there. Um, yeah. And then they go and then we could get them again. They don't cause any problems. Then we have some types which we call low risk HPV, which may cause things like genital warts. So that would be... That does not sound low risk to me. That's interesting you say that. So a lot of people think it's, it's more unpleasant, but it's not going to cause you harm. Okay. Fine. I mean, genital warts, Yep, yeah, it's not Let's ideal. face it, it's not the nicest thing. But it doesn't mean that you're more likely to get something like cervical cancer or okay. cell changes. It's And it's treatable. You get a cream usually and you can get rid of them. Um, so it's low risk in the sense that it's not going to cause you kind of any serious harm. Mm-hmm. It's just not very nice to have. Uh, but then we have... A few HPV types, which we call high risk, which are linked to things like cancer. right? And it's those HPV types that we're kind of looking at and trying to figure out why is it that some of us clear them? Why is it that some of us don't? Um, And that's the ongoing research kind of to bring it back to that family history question that we still don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. We don't know why some of us. Um, don't clear it. And and it will be when that research is done and we have those answers that we'll be able to know more about, okay, there's certain people who maybe need a bit more attention. But as it stands at the moment, mm-hmm. there's not that family link.
0: Um, and then what about the vaccine? Because I know that, yeah. like, I, I didn't get the vaccine
1: me neither. So, I'm, does okay. is it really effective? Should people be getting it? So, it's one of those things where we wouldn't say we wouldn't say should. Okay. It's, it's it's someone's it's someone's choice, but it is very effective. And when you're vaccinated, you're not just kind of protecting yourself, you're protecting the people around you as well. Um and the HPV vaccine is so exciting because it's one of the major ways where we could actually see cervical cancer completely prevented Mm. we may see a time when there's no no one else is affected by this which is just incredible because you can't say that about a lot of conditions or illnesses Um, so with the hpv vaccine in the uk it's currently part of our schools program on the nhs so it's free and depending on where you live in scotland you'll be offered it from 11 in england wales and northern ireland you'll be offered it from 12 or 13 Um, and Yeah, you get it as part of the school's program. Um, Usually it'll be, you'll be a parent has to sign a consent form to say yes, you know, like the standard. JABS, it's the same as that, it's in your upper arm. You'll have two doses of it if you're under 15, you'll have three doses if you're over 15. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can actually, recently it's changed so that if you are offered the first dose of the vaccine, you can get it for free up to age 25, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting um boys are also gonna be offered it from september that was a question i have
0: can men get hpv
1: yeah yes i feel like that should have been like my first massive headline it's not just women right yes why does it seem like it's just women it's because currently there's no test for men that's right so where we've got cervical screening which is changing to look for hpv for men, it's just if they get a condition mm-hmm. um, like a cancer that's linked to HPV, then they may know they have it. But otherwise, they might not. I mean, they could get genital warts, right, as well. But it's not as talked about for yeah. guys at all. And that's that's something that again at Joe's we really want to address and make people aware that it's you know it's not just women who get this and pass it on. Mm-hmm. Men can get it too. It's just that they're probably less aware. So if
0: you go and get your test done and you know you have HPV,
1: can you still carry on having sex with your, say, long term boyfriend? You can. I mean it's it's a really tricky one actually and it's it's a question that we're getting a lot of now as HPV kind of becomes, I guess, more in the public consciousness. Um, but there's you know, uh with some STIs, um, you are told, Oh contact your past partners. Right, let exactly. Them know, exactly. This, that and the other there's nothing like that for hpv and the reason is because so many of us have it already yeah, yeah. um and and the majority of the time which i really want to stress it doesn't cause any harm mm. i think it's 9 in 10 of us just have it and yeah. get rid of it and it's no problems so yes you you could continue you know having sex with your long-term partner or whoever whoever else, whoever else you want to have sex with um but we know that for some people, they may feel a responsibility to just mm-hmm. have that conversation about it, and um, and let them know. And if they want to do that, we would just say, please make sure you're really informed about about HPV, right. And you have the information to hand. And also, obviously, we are happy to get questions for it. So we have a helpline. We've got our website. Um, we want people to have those conversations, but have them with the right information. Absolutely. So people aren't, because it's scary. It is it, a scary subject, so people aren't getting scared and they do know that actually for most
0: people, not a problem. It, it's not a big deal. Okay, well I'm gonna tell a personal anecdote here um, because I think it's really important because I was terrified. So I went yeah. such a long time between getting my smear then I got my smear and I was in the high risk category for HPV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I seriously thought I I have cancer. That's what I thought. I was stressed out. I was calling my mom crying. I was tell I was literally like it was very, very upsetting. So she told me and and I didn't know what HPV was. So I was I kinda knew, yeah. but I didn't really know. And I was like, how serious is this? Like, do I have to call all my past partners and be like, oh. yo, you got this now? Mm. Like I was going through all the motions in my brain. Um and then um, she, but, but she basically said, look, you don't have to worry about anything really, but let's just do a colposcopy. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I wanna get into what that is, but first I think it's important, and we haven't actually done this yet, is what actually happens during a regular smear test. Yes. I've-
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't tell. You I that don't know you how asked. we
0: how we missed that, but I want to say the difference between that and a colposcopy. So you go yes. in there, you put your gown so on or
1: whatever. You go in there. So in the UK, yep, yeah, you don't you don't get a gown. It's just very yeah, you very don't get a sad, gown. very sad. But yeah, you go in there. Um, you will have a chat with a nurse who will hopefully explain what the test is about and what they're gonna be doing. You go behind a curtain so you've got a private area to either I mean if you're wearing trousers, take your trousers off, take your pants off. If you're wearing a dress or a skirt, you can just slip your knickers off and then you lie on kind of the, the examination couch mm-hmm. or the or the bed that's usually in a in a doctor's office. Um and then you've got a little a little sheet to cover yourself, a little plastic sheet, which you know, can seem like it's not covering you a lot but it is and it's and what we have to remember is that these sample takers they see it all the time anyway yeah. so they're not kind of studying genitals intensely And as I mean if anyone this.
0: has ever been waxed or had laser hair removal like it's it's that nowhere it's nowhere, nowhere near, near. near as intimate <laughs> I feel like as that it really
1: isn't um so what you'll do is they'll probably ask you to lie on your back um, and have your knees bent up and your ankles together so your legs are apart oh that's the you scariest could, bit. well you can also go on your side so some people find it more comfortable to just turn over on their side with their oh, legs wow. up so there is there is that option as well and um, which a lot of people don't know about but it's perfectly legitimate they can take the sample like that Um, and then what they'll do is they'll take the speculum which is trying to think of how to describe a speculum in the best Mm. way it's uh it's usually plastic and it's kind of just a tube that opens up Mm -hmm. almost um and they put that in gently very gently and it's new and it's clean Um, and what they'll do is they'll open that up and the idea is that it just opens the walls of the vagina so they can have a really good view of the cervix right because that means they can then take we call it a brush it's kind of a little it's a tiny tiny thin soft brush it has some little kind of rubber bits on the end Um, and they'll put that into your vagina up to your cervix and they'll just twist it around, and that'll be them taking the samples. But it's usually the speculum that people feel. So the brush people don't tend to kind of feel or, or notice. Okay. Um, once they have that, they will take that out, they will take the speculum out, and they'll pop that sample, that little brush, um, in, a, in a little bottle of liquid, and that's just to preserve it, so it can be sent off to the lab. At the lab, they'll look at it. So we're a bit weird at the moment in the UK, we're kind of switching between two types of screening. So some parts of the country are still doing something called cytology, which is when they'll first look at that sample under a microscope, and they'll be looking at it for cell changes. Some parts of the country, and eventually all of us will move to what we call HPV primary testing, which just means that they're going to be looking at that sample for HPV first. Mm. And if they find HPV, then they will go on to check it for cell changes. I see. Because the idea is, if you don't have HPV, even if you had cell changes, the likelihood of those developing is so low because it's the HPV that kind of makes that change.
0: Mm -hmm. And I will say from my personal experience as someone who was very stressed about, about this, once the speculum is in, it's pretty smooth sailing from there from my experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean we would we would hope so like we I mean I think the thing to recognize is we're all individuals mm-hmm. and we all have a completely different experience and the best thing to do is have that open line of communication. So if at any point during the test but you know before the speculum's in, when the speculum's in, whenever there's not a point at which you can't say hang on, can we stop? Can we just take a breather? Can we rewind a little bit? Like, it's fine. That's a really, really good point. But I will say, speaking of take a breather,
0: breathing was so helpful to me yes. and I was like fully doing my yoga breath during this thing she was like are you okay I'm like yeah I'm just doing my breathing inhale, exhale." but it does
1: help it really does because um I think you mentioned earlier about feeling really tense like your whole body feels tense and yeah absolutely we hear that a lot mm-hmm. particularly from people who are going for the first time yeah and they don't know what to expect and suddenly you have a stranger there who's yeah. asking you to kind of lie on a couch and do this so yeah going through those kind of breathing exercises or even taking some music or a magazine or something just to kind of take your mind off it can really help Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so i did that and
0: then a couple days later i got my results it was the same um doctor who took took the test for me Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, high risk HPV, cool. Well, right. She's like, and, and she's like, I don't want you to be stressed out. Obviously I was. She's like, but I want to book you in for a colposcopy mm-hmm. just to get a closer look at these cells, I guess is, yeah. is what they do during a colposcopy. So when I heard the word colposcopy and it was in a hospital, I had to go yes. to a, ho- a separate hospital. Yep.
1: That's when I started getting freaked out yeah i i get that i totally get that and it's something again we hear all the time from people because i think because it is in a hospital yeah that is that is so worrying for people um and colposcopy is a weird one because it's kind of used both to just do some further tests um and diagnose something if there Mm -hmm. is something to be diagnosed and it's, it can also be used to treat. So we kind right. of have these two separate functions for it. So, speaking about, I guess, the further test diagnosing bit first. So, yeah, you're right. If you have, um, high-risk HPV or if you had cell changes you would be invited there and it and it is just so they can take a closer look at it mm-hmm. that is that's is exactly what they do Um kind of like a screening in that there'll be a speculum you'll be on the couch they'll put that in they'll open it up but rather than immediately taking a swab, they have this, I guess, kind of special microscope, which we call a colposcope, which stays outside of the body, thankfully, doesn't go in, but they just can really see the cervix in a lot of magnified detail.
0: I feel like my doctor had it on his Head like it was like a is that what it that, like what was I that? mean was that a light or something
1: it was, yes. like it was going deep dark
0: cave yes. diving they or do something. they
1: they can have lights on so usually it's attached to the mic, the <laughs> colposcope the the light but I I like the image of having kind of a minus light on that that's on the what head. it was <laughs> and I was like oh
0: my god. But yeah. I
1: mean the the whatever wherever this light is the point is they're just trying to see. kind of see see the cervix and they might there are a few different tests that they might do so sometimes they'll put a liquid on the cervix yes. that will highlight the areas if yes. there are any areas where the cells have changed they can then see that sometimes they'll take a sample of the cervix a very very tiny tiny piece of tissue from it which mm-hmm. is called a biopsy that's something that can feel you know people can get a little bit worried about yes um and it they usually don't use an anesthetic for that yeah so they might ask you to cough or something Uh and then take it but again if for you it's something where you think you know what i i need that anesthetic you can you can ask for a local anesthetic like that's that's completely fine but generally it is it's kind of like a sharp pinch for a second and and then it's done and I I say that like it's nothing obviously obviously it it is something um and it's it's something again to talk to your doctor who's called a colposcopist about if you're worried about it or and and what would happen then is that that little sample of tissue would be sent off so they can say all right here's what's really going on here Mm -hmm. and they can say you've got this level of cell changes or they might say no actually everything's fine Yeah, and from there they can say here's what we recommend for you mm-hmm. and- so
0: when I went in for my colposcopy he had the miner's light on and also <laughs> there's it's a camera and he put a camera in-
1: oh yeah did you have the screen yes. next to you
0: yeah so you sometimes have a
1: screen so you oh. can actually see your cervix
0: so and what's happening to it guys I'm wriggling around <laughs> in my chair right now so basically it's like a little tiny camera and he put it inside my vagina and he was like if you want to watch this, you can literally just turn. And it was like a big TV screen. And I was like, I'm not watching that. You didn't watch it? Hell, no. I did not watch that. Um, but he said a lot of people do. Yeah. So he was doing that. And then um, you mentioned that they put, um, they can sometimes put a, a fluid on the cervix yeah. to see different cells. So he did that. Mm-hmm. He um, put, I think it was iodine. Yes. Um which on a on a piece of cotton and then put that yep. on my cervix sweet and then he decided he needed to take the biopsy was freaking out because mm-hmm. i knew it was a potential thing and he was like we can either do it now or you can come back and do it another That's so time good that
1: he offered that yeah that was brilliant. um
0: and then he was like there's also the option to um go under anesthetic to get it but i'm i'm in here what do you want to do and I was basically like, just do it. I was really freaking out, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. He told me to cough. He took the biopsy. I'm not gonna lie, was not amazing. No. Um, and yeah, luckily everything was fine in the end. Um, I, I was a little freaked out because I was like, if they need to take a biopsy, this must be serious. Um, but when I got the results, it, uh, he said it was it was pretty normal we should just keep an eye on it and that i probably will h- carry on having these abnormal mm-hmm. cells but
1: anyway the hpv's gone now
0: that's, so
1: yeah and that's really the thing that i feel like the hpv is kind of the the kingpin of yeah. this whole thing like that's that's what they're looking for and that's what is going to drive these changes yeah. or not
0: yeah so i was really excited when i got because i went and got another smear test um recently well not that recently maybe like i don't know 8 months ago and yep, yeah, my doctor was like, You don't even have HPV anymore. So that was amazing. And and I think for me, I was so nervous about it. And what this whole thing has taught me is it's very important to go. Um, mm-hmm. get your cervical screening done mm-hmm. because I I just felt so much more in control of my body afterwards, mm-hmm. and, and not gonna lie, the whole thing was very stressful. But I am so glad that I did it because if that was something, if that biopsy turned out to be something uh, more serious, then I could have dealt with mm-hmm. it. Um, so that's that's my story. And I remember um, even I feel like a couple of years ago, I think I think Joe's Trust came to me and was like, "Do you want to work with us on this campaign?" And I was like, "I can't because I cannot." preach people getting a cervical screening because yeah. I can't go. I'm so stressed Or I was like, I'm the one who needs to be yeah. watching that campaign. But now it's something that's like, you know, things can change in an yeah. instant and it's really important to go. That's, so. It's so
1: interesting that you say that because I think, yeah, For I mean, for us, we, we're kind of, as a charity, we're very evidence-based. And so we can see that the evidence says the benefits of going for screening outweigh those risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we kind of try and inform women with but ultimately it, it is it is someone's choice and and I think it's the more experiences we hear like yours the more open that conversation is going to be yeah because for a lot of people it will be you know Oh well, actually no. I just I'm just going to shut, shut it down. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to <laughs> know about it. It's exactly. such a it's a private area. It's not something that it's something that I, I feel squeamish about. That I feel is going to be traumatic for me. That I feel in my culture isn't acceptable. There's so many reasons someone might not want to go. And the more that we hear from people like you or anyone who actually questioned it and said, "Oh, I don't I don't know how I feel about this," or "I find it difficult," the better it's going to be because it's not just going to be people saying. You need to go for this. It's going to be saying here are the benefits of this test. Here's my experience. Here's what made it better. Mm -hmm. To be honest, like sharing tips and things like that is so useful. I I totally
0: agree. And that's another reason I wanted to do this podcast because especially when I had to do the colposcopy, I did not know where to turn. Yeah. I mean, I was saying to like my best friends, like I've got to go do this thing. Have you ever done it? And I was kind of like embarrassed by it, you know? Because it's, it's so personal. And actually one of my friends was like, oh, I've had that done. Like, you know, and it's like so nice just to hear someone someone else's experience it is yeah. um is there a decline in screenings
1: there has been so in england i think we're at a 20 or 21 year low at the moment wow. um and it's yeah there is so it's about uh, one in four women generally who don't attend and actually in our 25 to 29 age group that's even worse so it's one in three and in some areas one in two mm. who who aren't going um, and like I said there's we hear so many reasons or concerns, worries about screening um and and so it's 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 so wide ranging there's it's it's a, a physical thing it's a mental thing it, sometimes it's just a practical thing like access or not being able to get an appointment at the right time or anything like that um and it, so we're we're trying what joe's is trying to do is trying to tackle all of those barriers mm. and just make sure that people feel validated in right. those concerns and that there's not you know it's not like there's a list that we've created saying like these are these are all the reasons why someone might not want to go for screening pick one of these and then that's your lot like we've we've all got multiple reasons mm-hmm. and it's p- things that we won't speak about in this podcast that that are all valid reasons for being concerned about something so it's trying to figure out how to address that and how to make the test the best it possibly can be for people yeah. and there will still still be some people for who it's not possible. And in that case, we want to be talking about symptoms and getting that message out there. But for most people, we hope there is a solution to however they're feeling about it.
0: Yeah. Um, can you get a smear
1: test whilst you're on your period? You can. However, what? It's a tricky one? It's, it's, it's a really interesting one, because a while ago, You would just hear, no, you have to go a specific time in your cycle. Oh really? Um, But what we found now is really the most important thing is if you want to go for the test, to go for the test. Mm -hmm. So the reason that it's recommended you don't go when you're actually bleeding is because we talked about that sample and how sometimes they need to look at it um, and try and see the cells. If you're bleeding and they have blood in that sample, it may make it a little bit less clear I and see. you may come back with what we call an inadequate result, which yes. just means that they haven't been able to test it properly, yeah. which means you would have to go back for another test. Right. So we want to obviously minimize that for people, particularly if the test isn't something that they feel that comfortable with. So that's why it's recommended don't go while you are on your period. However, if that is the only time you can get an appointment and you want to go, just go. go. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if there
0: is any truth to this, but I have heard that there is a link to getting cervical cancer because you are using your laptop on your
1: lap. I'm, I'm in trouble if that's the case. I mean, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say, I have never heard <laughs> okay. this. Okay, I mean, I don't, like I said, not a medical expert, so I don't want to definitively say no, but I feel like, that is what I'm saying. Okay. It's, not, it's not something Fine. we've ever heard because, I mean, because the, again, we go back to the HPV, because the HPV is the thing, as far as I'm aware... The laptop stop BBHPV like, <laughs> out, out of it. So let we're going to say a no, okay. a no to that. But that's such an interesting one. I know.
0: Well, I was saying to you before we started recording that normally I get, you know, a decent amount of questions yeah. for my podcast guests. But this episode, no one called in. And I was like... It's very upsetting. What is <laughs> with you guys? You don't want to call in. I have so many questions about this, but I really think there's something still very taboo about this. there is and
1: I think as well we hear a lot that people think their questions are silly mm. like oh I should know I think we just all assume we should know it mm-hmm. but when actually you know you're not talking I mean I'm thinking of my own family it was never mentioned I I didn't know about it really until I got the invite through and I was like Mum, is, this is this, the worst invite ever this a thing what's going on because I, I i never heard you know any of the females in my family speak about it yeah. so i think it's one of those things like anything to do with you know the genital area that we just we just don't talk about or we, yeah. we think it is a bit oh either i should automatically know this or no one else is asking this question so it must be a bit silly but mm-hmm. actually it's not and we i mean at joe's we're constantly asking just questions that people would probably think are really weird to you know the experts. Yeah. So it's yeah, please ask us questions. Like come to us. We can we can help. Um and, and say um
0: you you do all you do the test and unfortunately you do get cervical mm-hmm. cancer. Is there treatment? What's what is the oh, next? Oh
1: yeah. So it's really rare actually for someone to be diagnosed with cervical cancer via screening. Oh. Because. It is a it's a test to prevent. So the idea is that you might get cell changes, which definitively are not cancer, um, and just having cell changes doesn't mean that they would even develop into cervical cancer. But at the moment, we don't know which will and which wouldn't, which is why you may be offered treatment for them. Mm. But so it's really it's really really very rare for someone to be diagnosed with cervical cancer after screening. Um, but if you were or if you had symptoms and you went for an appointment and you had an exam and you were then diagnosed via that route, there is treatment for it and it's usually very successful. Okay. So with cervical cancer, if it is caught through screening, it's it it's very early stage usually, which means that it's easier to treat. It means that the impact and the effect that you might you might have, so particularly physical effects, because the treatment might be a bit lesser it they might it might be less um but yeah the 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 treatment and the outcomes for it are are really positive generally obviously with any cancer you have different stages of it so it really depends which stage you're diagnosed but even if you're diagnosed at a later stage there there are still treatments that okay. can happen i would say that something that We hear a lot from women, and something that people tend to come to our services for or use our forum to connect with other women about are the impact on their life after treatment. So I think it happens with with a lot of illnesses. You kind of go, you get treated, and then it's like, oh, you're, you're better. Off you go, go and live your life. But actually, there are, you know, there's a psychological effect of, you know, maybe having had cancer, mm-hmm. is it going to come back? Um, are my family at risk now? Um, how do I, you know, I feel changed? How do I go about my normal life mm-hmm. now? Is What is my normal life now? How does that look? As well as the physical impact. So a lot of the treatments for cervical cancer may have an impact on someone's fertility, and because it's a cancer that we do sometimes, or we do see in younger women, um, so maybe the th- in your thirties, your late twenties, your thirties as well, um, that can be a really difficult thing because it may be that it's harder to conceive. It may be that if you do conceive or get pregnant. Um, your pregnancy may be considered higher risk. So you may need a little bit more monitoring just to make sure that everything's going well. Or it may be that you have a treatment that means that you wouldn't be able to get pregnant, in which case there are other options. But for some people, that's not right. Or for some people, um, it's it, yeah, it's just not, it's not, not quite the same thing. And so we really want to kind of raise awareness that that's all going on for people as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just like... You get the diagnosis, you get the treatment, and then you're done. Yeah. There's there's these lifelong impacts um, that can happen, and I mean, I don't want to I don't want to kind of scare people by talking about this, but it's another reason why it's so incredible that we have cervical screening, mm-hmm. this preventative test, that means that we don't have to see people going through those things yeah. and ha- and you know having their quality of life affected mm-hmm. by it. Luckily. If you do have those effects after treatment, there are support services available for you. There are things that can, you know, manage how you're feeling and, and, you know, practical things that that you can do. But obviously, the ideal would be if no one got to that stage where they needed that. Um, So, yeah, in summary, treatment usually very successful, and it's how we continue to support those people after right. they've had treatment yeah. as well as the everyone around them because you know it's not just the person who has that diagnosis I mean even with something like cell changes like you said you kind of feel like I need to I, I want to talk to my friends mm-hmm. talk to my family do this you know there's an impact on everyone Absolutely. around them and it's 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 them understanding that they can come and ask questions as well and it's it's okay to kind of be open about that conversation to get the support that everyone needs. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's
0: one thing It's just trying to be more open about this because it is kind of one of those things that's still a little bit hush hush but mm-hmm. I think also um, just changing the language around it like even how I was just in earlier in this episode I was like oh worst invitation ever it's not the worst invitation yeah. ever it's actually incredible that you have the opportunity to get a test like that done mm-hmm. um, so I think it, it, it's a bit of
1: changing perspective it is it absolutely is and it's that's something we're really focused on we just want to have we just want to open up the conversation and you know at joe's we don't want to say to people this is how you have to feel about it or this is the language that you have to use about it but if we can just say actually yeah okay yeah it's not it's not particularly nice but here's the benefits of it Mm -hmm. or here's what you can do to make it better for you or here's how you can take control it would make such a difference and i think i think we are seeing more people talk about it, particularly on social media. Um, There seems to be those conversations, and it's so nice to kind of go on Twitter or something and see a thread of people supporting each other through it. If someone says they're nervous and someone says, I was nervous as well, here's what I did, or something like that, it's just really heartwarming to see people kind of taking ownership of it and wanting to help raise awareness for other people. Absolutely. So what is next for Joes? What is the big aim and hope and dream? I mean, the biggest aim and dream is that we will see cervical cancer completely eliminated. So with the idea is with the HPV vaccine going hand in hand with a screening program, eventually no one should be diagnosed. That's the big. That's the big dream. Is that? I mean, essentially, we're saying, put us out of a job, which is, which which will be, yeah. But it would be, it would be amazing to see that. But as we work towards that, and we're kind of raising awareness of prevention and everything like that, we also are so focused on supporting people who get any kind of results. So whether it's someone who says who's been told, oh, you've got HPV, but You've got nothing else so don't worry about it that person's going to need yes. a, a big amount of support same for someone who's told you have cell changes they need support definitely for someone who's told they have cervical cancer they need support and everyone around them needs support mm-hmm. so while we're kind of pushing towards that time where no one will be diagnosed with cervical cancer we need to be looking at how can we support all these people along the way? And we do that in a in a number of ways. I mean, I've mentioned our services before, um, but we have yeah, we've got lots of free information on the website. We've got a helpline which is just amazing. Like I can't sing their praises enough. It's it's manned by volunteers who all have personal experience in some way. And and all they want to do is kind of have those conversations with people and reassure them and give them some tips and guidance. Um, And we have a a forum as well, which is just that kind of coming back to what Joe wanted, which Mm -hmm. was to be able to connect with other people who have had a specific experience. That is where we see that happening. Just loads of threads of someone saying, I'm going for colposcopy what does this mean? I've had this result. Has anyone else had this? And seeing kind of the influx of replies and people forming friendships and those support networks is just wonderful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for medical questions, which I feel, because I'm not able to answer them, but if anyone who is listening did have a really specific medical question, we have something called an Ask the Expert service, um, which is online as well. You can go on, you can submit your question, you can be anonymous, um, and a healthcare expert will reply within two weeks, um, right. and yeah, hopefully give you something that you're that you're looking for, the answer that you're looking for. So that's that's kind of what we're focusing on, as well as the pre- prevention side of it. Is just making sure that people have got that support,
0: right? Um, so where can people find you guys? I know you said your website, and and let's just yes. list it out. So our
1: website is joestrust.org.uk and that is J O S Trust.org.uk. Uh, our helpline which is free to call um, and it's it's a national thing as well um, I feel like I I should say that because we definitely want we want more callers from Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland too <laughs> um, is 0808 802 8000 um, and that's free of charge. and if and if people go on the website, they can find our forum and that ask the expert service mm-hmm. um, as well. So that's that's where to find us. Um, social media, we have um a Twitter account which is at Joe's trust. Um, and with Instagram you can find us at Joseph Cook Cancer Trust. okay as well. So yeah, please. Please do come and, and give us questions and let us let us do what we what we've been created for basically. Yeah, well, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing
0: and what a legacy of Joe, you know, for
1: Joe. It's really brilliant and it's it's so nice actually because um, her children are very involved in the charity still um, and kind of we actually did we had a video with them for that we did for our twentieth anniversary, which is it which has just started, um, but they were just saying seeing people being so grateful to to have these different services, have the right support when they knew that their mum didn't get it is just the most wonderful thing. Oh. And that's, and I mean, for, I think for all of us who work there, that's, that's the main goal always is to just whatever we, if we can help someone, if someone can come to us and walk away thinking, okay, I feel like I have an answer for that mm-hmm. or I feel like, I'm not the only one who feels that way. That's, that just makes our day.
0: Well, that is a lovely sentiment to end on. Thank you so much for being here, Imogen. Considering this was your very first podcast, what a pro. Oh, thank you. I mean, you, you made it easy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I liked the line of questioning. It was, it was good. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you
1: for having us.